I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. You know the thing is we're here now, so just be here now. That's all I gotta say. Welcome to Unhinged, episode 52, recorded November 19th, 2017. Today we have another special guest, but before we get into that, uh, Doug, you had some things you wanted to uh, mention. How's it going with you? It's going good. It. What is it? Well, Thanksgiving's coming up, and that, of course, is my favorite holiday because it's all about food. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But you're not going to do the traditional turkey deal. No, no. Actually, my wife and I usually do um, something different. Uh, this year, I think we're going with uh, steaks uh, and, you know, traditional Thanksgiving sides, but with steak instead of uh, turkey. I like it. And then, you you know, other times we've done like gnocchi and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's I love this holiday because we get to just pick some cool meal that we want to make and and just manja. <laughs> yeah. Not uh yeah, it gives you a reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. All right. Excellent. Uh yeah, I was just going to mention a couple things. Uh just a couple of um uh documentaries I saw on Netflix that I thought I'd pass along. Um one of them is the uh um this uh Glenn Rogers, he's a serial killer. Um and his brother was sort of his partner in crime and the brother narrates um, the documentary and he actually had to turn his brother in. Um, but it's speculated this guy, Glenn Rogers, uh, possibly was the one that killed um, uh, Nicole Simpson and uh, Ron Goldman. Wow. Yeah. And because uh, they did see when they saw the prints of his Roberto Cavalli, whatever those shoes were that mm-hmm. he denied, and they saw another print that was kind of faint, but it was there. Um, so I think it's kind of up in the air, but uh, it's kind of interesting. But like OJ would have hired him, sort of thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, he was behind it, and the reason why his shoes were there because he came back. So, uh, they speculate that he came back afterwards to see uh, what was done. If wow, the job was done, that's crazy. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And uh, so we, you know, we're always interested in uh, serial killer documentaries, as we had in our 
show many shows ago. And I think there is kind of uh, irony in the next point that I was going to make that that killing happened on Bundy Drive. Oh, jeez. I never tried to, I don't know if it ever came out, but they just, did they take that for granted? It's the magical combination. That is is bizarre, yes. (laughs) But we we talked on that show about uh, IQs and uh, psychopathy, and um, I was sort of answered that it's sort of, you know, probably above in many cases and mm-hmm. but it does seem to vary and it's uh just to give an example ted bundy had an iq of 149 which wow. is well above average yeah and uh, as compared to say eileen warnos who scored a 79 wow so that kind of puts that uh to bed that there's quite a range so it's not really contingent upon iq right right now warnos so, was uh that was the one from the movie Monster, right? That's right. Yeah, it was the first uh, first American female serial killer. Wow. Congratulations to her. <laughs> that's uh, something to be proud of. <laughs> yeah. So if you're interested, that's on um, Netflix. It's called My Brother, the Serial Killer, um, about Glenn Rogers. Interesting. Um, yeah. The other thing I was going to mention was uh, the curcumin that I – keep sort of uh um talking about mm. which is the turmeric extract and it's an anti-inflammatory and great for the brain um and it's still being written up that it, it helps not only depression but anxiety um and it seems to show that that there's it, that the curcumin not only as an anti-inflammatory but it can help balance serotonin dopamine glutamate and noradrenaline in the brain wow so yeah, so it can, you know, it can heal uh, damage caused by, you know, other things. And, and it has um, beneficial hypothalamus pituitary adrenal, which is HPA. Um, but it's just just really uh, a great, um, it enhances your, your microbes in your brain. And it's just really a good uh, anti-inflammatory <clears throat> for the brain. And and you're taking this now? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I still have some, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's a trade off of going a couple of days without eating and getting these supplements. But that's the uh, that's the deal because the supplements can be very expensive. Yeah, so you know, I, of course, my levels go down when you don't eat, but you know, I'm, yeah. I'm supplementing nonetheless. And um, so they did they did uh, have some real good. Uh, findings and that it could work alongside your antidepressant or uh, could even work alone and has actually d- sort of done the job um, in in helping depressive cases. Now, does this also so, occur naturally in certain foods or is this something you really need a supplement for? Um, it is a supplement, but uh, I mean, I guess you eat turmeric, yeah. uh, you know, um, you know, but uh, that's that's the easiest way to get a therapeutic dose. Right, right. Um, and actually, they have turmeric lattes and things like that that you can drink oh, to get the same thing. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> no, it doesn't actually. Uh, I figure I'll mention it while I'm on the topic. There's they're also talking about a, a real link between dehydration and depression. Really, um, if you feel tired, you're stressed, you're depressed, and you you can't concentrate, you have a foggy brain. There's new studies that show that that it could be dehydration that's you know sagging your mood hmm. 
Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I won't get into the details, but it's a University of Connecticut study. And um, so it definitely, uh, there definitely seems to be, you know, I know when you don't drink a lot of water, you can, uh, it can cause headaches and sleeplessness right. and, you know, um, typical stuff, but definitely affects the brain. Yeah. My, so, my wife is constantly on me about drinking more water because I really don't. And I really should. Uh, I, I'm probably a bit on the dehydrated side most of the time because I don't drink that much and it's, it's weird. I have dry mouth and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And, and by that point you're like, they say, you know, when you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Right. Exactly. And yeah. A, a little trick, actually, you would think that you get all dry, but if you find that your face starts getting oily or your skin in general, mm -hmm. um, that could be a sign because your body's actually trying to create liquid to compensate. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, you definitely should, you know, they say like every hour, just, just guzzle a glass. I mean, it's yeah. not like, you know, happy drinking, but it's, uh, you know, just guzzle the glass down and Ugh, I just can't, I, I don't like just drinking water unless I'm super, super thirsty. I just can't bring myself to drink just plain water. It's not like removing a boil. Just <laughs> guzzle it. You know? I know. I know. Shotgun. I, I got to do it. Got to do it. So, well, we had the, uh, that was the song, uh, the beginning of the show was Undone by the Guess Who. Um, and it was kind of apropos that we decided to do that song, given the name, because the definition of undone is, is um, not done or finished. Uh, so like, you know, I've left, he left his homework undone and, um, and I think it also has to do in this case with our guest and that our relationship is not uh, undone. It's right. not done, but it's not undone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. Makes so, um, yeah, we've had a lot of issues with, you know, uh, talking about, how uh, this disease really affects loved ones, um, you know, being, you know, having a major mental illness. It's, it's, uh, it's really tough. There's a flurry of emotions that they go through, uh, you know, anger, guilt, fear, disbelief, and, you know, to make any sense at, out of it. Um, but now, of course, with the science that we learned, um, this was really a perfect place to just say hey let's reset and things are going well and i want you there and it's just incredibly important mm -hmm. for you know for a lot of different reasons and you know just validation and and that you, you're not a stooge and all the things that you tell yourself all the time right so given that without further ado uh, i want to introduce uh our guest for today um if you remember uh which show was it that mitchell drew was on Oh, I don't, I don't remember, remember the number. You, yeah. I should have looked that up. Anyways, he was on, uh, and uh, now his mama's on, my sister, Lori Drew. So welcome, Lori. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been excited to do this with you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you on right at, uh, not right after, but uh, we had Jamie on in the past too, your brother. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know if you caught that one or not. I did. He's a lot funnier than I am, though. <laughs> yeah, but looks aren't everything, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Hello. So, 
Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously if you've been following the show, uh, you know, that, uh, Doug has, um, recently started the, uh, the process of, uh, healing with his family. And, um, a big part of that was, uh, was Lori. And, um, so Lori, I'd, I'd like for you to tell us, uh, a little bit about what happened recently, uh, with the reconciliation with Doug and, and how you guys uh, reconnected. Okay. Um, oddly enough, um, I had not, I'm not really a Facebook person and I really don't go on that much, but for whatever reason, one night I wanted to just kind of check in and see how he was doing. And that's when I, um, saw that he had posted that one word on Facebook and, um, that very same night, Doug had a nightmare about me, which yeah. was to me so bizarre because somehow, uh, and I'm not a big oh, believer yeah. in all this other weird stuff, but for whatever reason, we were on the same wavelength thinking about each other on the very same night. Hmm. And I don't think so you know that's this. I... No, I haven't heard yeah, this. I don't think he knows this part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had asked Doug if he told you. So, you know, that's when I commented on the Facebook and I guess he had already had it in his mind that he, you know, wanted to go ahead and reset, as he calls it. Um, so it was just, you know, I, like I have the goosebumps now because every time I think about it, it was like, why, you know, why did I go that day? I, I never go on. I never, yeah. you know, look at his page or anything but for whatever reason i did that probably at about the same time that he was having the dream or nightmare about me um wow and so you know i made the comment and he was very quick to respond called my son mitchell and said you know i i really need to call your mom and so we just spoke and you know he prefaced prefaced it by saying like he was only going to be on for a couple minutes because that was what he felt that he was going to be able to handle. Right. And I think we ended up talking for like three and a half hours or something <laughs> it was, that yeah. night. So <laughs> that's awesome. So that's what happened. And, you know, it just, uh, he's never ever far from my mind, even, you know, in the times that we are not speaking, which I really hate. Yeah. Um, and I know he does. And so, you know, things have been really good. He's been responsive and, you know, if he doesn't feel like talking, he, I think can know that it's okay to say so and just say, you know, let's talk another time or just open lines of communication, which is just really the key to any relationship, but certainly in repairing damaged relationships as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I and mean, for some reason, when it, when it gets into this neurological <clears throat> major depression, it just your it, your initial uh, reaction is to withdraw, and you know it's because it, you just can't deal with any kind of heavy emotion because, right. as we've learned, that my amygdala is just incredibly overactive. So one of the the self care routines that I need to follow, you know, in sort of best practice to try to avoid relapse is to not only diet and exercise, but, um, stress and mm. it not, um, overtaxing the amygdala. So, right. um, 
you know, it's, you know, can't take too much drama and that and tread lightly and all this. stuff. And it's really is that way. Cause it's, uh, I mean, a battery change can knock it off for four months. So anything can do that. So. Right. Yeah. And know. that's, that's actually been proven, um, in your history, because when you were at one point, when you were feeling really good, you took on way too much, way too fast. Uh, yeah. and, and that kind of, I wouldn't say that triggered your relapse back then, but it certainly did. I think help. it did. I think yeah. it was the catalyst and it wasn't self-fulfilling prophecy or anything. I mean, it was just, it literally just happened to be, uh, the culmination, I guess. And, um, not processing everyday things the same way as others do. So, yeah. you know, it all stays inside and you're, you're just, I guess it was just sort of like the land of confusion. And so, and, and this is also why I always get nervous when I don't hear from you for a little while, because I know that when things are bad, you withdraw. And, right. and, um, you know, so I, I'm trying to make it more of a point on my end to keep those open lines of communication, uh, and, and, you know, constantly not check in quote unquote, but basically, chat whenever an idea comes into my head that I think you might be interested in. I, I, I'm trying to, you know, make that communication happen just like we were neighbors next door or something like that. That's right. And, and I just have to say, you know, having Lori back in my life and my brother, Jamie, uh, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable because, you know, I mean, both sides have it rough. I mean, they had to deal with the disease all those years. Right. And, and I'm, and I'm sure it was stressful and emotional and, you know, we both sides have to deal with a lot of crap. Uh, unfortunately I have to deal with the disease too, mm -hmm. but there's still work for me to do. So instead of withdrawing, I have to kind of force myself to stay social. That's one yeah. of the key self-care tools for anyone with the, with any type of depression. Um, but you know, that's, so there's still a lot of work for me to do on my end, uh, for sure. But, um, you know, they get it. And unfortunately it's such a rare disease and so shitty. Uh, yeah. but at the same time, in a strange way, it's, it's, we know because it's neurology, we know the science of this. So it was sort of a, an easy way to see a clear distinction between the Hulk and David Banner. There's no in between in yeah. my case. So, you know, they were talking with, you know, with just anger, which is just, you know, an outward manifestation of all the stress and the anxiety and all the mental health that you're dealing with, yeah. mental illness. I was just going to comment on that because, you know, I, I do not suffer from depression, but I, um, you know, I'm not a big social person and it's very easy for me to detach and withdraw from everybody, even if there's just, you know, nothing like the having to do with a major depression. But if I'm feeling sad or I don't just feel like talking to people is very easy for me and I live alone. And, um, so the more I withdraw, the easier it is to do. And the more time I spend, you know, alone. So I applaud you, Doug, for, you know, it, realizing that you have to kind of put yourself out there because again, it's, it's not an easy thing to do for me and I don't suffer from, the disease that you suffer from. So, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So I give you credit for doing that, you know, social interactions are like that. I mean, I, I get, uh, I get anxious as well sometimes, um, in, in certain situ social situations. Um, 
So yeah, I can only imagine how much more amplified it would be uh, for someone like Doug. Right, exactly. I, I always say, you know, I don't like people and I definitely don't like other people's people. So if I have to go <laughs> to a gathering of somebody else's people, I really get, you yeah. know, stressed out and anxious about that. And I have to force myself. And of course, once I'm there in the situation, I'm okay, I'm fine. But it, it's, it's yeah. not my go to. It's not my natural thing to do. And that's actually a sign of, of when somebody says a, a flat out statement like that. I know when you're, you know, I say humans, you know, as if I'm not, but <laughs> it's, it's a form of catastrophizing. Just, you know, people suck, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's something you kind of shouldn't tell yourself, but, but I totally get it. And I think it, with our upbringing, I think there were some issues that, that we all have sort of some quirks about us take away the mental illness uh, and some, some you know self-conscious about certain things you know jamie's definitely a quirky uh soldier mm -hmm. and you know mm -hmm. so but you guys didn't have that you know you had healthy brains to be able to to cope and deal with it and as i've said to you many times that's why we played my three sons uh you know introducing you is because you were just a, a naturally unbelievable parent I and mean, you have three um incredible sons that are all completely different from each other yet they're all incredible human beings um Thank you. so i they give are. you so much credit for that i could never do anything close to that Thank you. well and i know i know mitchell i don't know um the others but uh mitchell is top notch he is awesome and he uh we live close to each other so i'm gonna have to uh visit next time i'm down in denver yeah, definitely. We're actually gonna. We're trying to get together a um, a family ski trip. Me and the boys. We did it a couple of years ago, and so we might be doing that again in March. Do you snow ski, Ed? <laughs> no, I'm what no. you would call an indoorsman. <laughs> oh, I, I did kind of know that from other podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's pretty funny because yeah, I don't do anything like skiing or or any sort of outdoor activity like that. Um, and yet I live, I live in Colorado <laughs> now. Well, and, and this actually does tie into my insecurities and my anxieties, which is, uh, you know, speed going fast, uh, going downhill heights, all that scares the bejesus out of me. So it's not for That's me. why you should go. <laughs> <laughs> conquer those fears. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they're not fears that I really care to conquer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We'll it's okay. It You'll sit in the shack and drink hot chocolate and wait for them to come back. There you go. I can do that. Like yeah. the yeah. grandparent or the, the old aunt. <laughs> I have no problem doing that. <laughs> and funny, you mentioned the history of depression. You know, I always thought it was that one person on our father's side that was always talked about negatively. But I think it's uh, it flows a little bit deeper than we thought, um, I think, on the maternal side, as we know. Right. So, you know, it's not just the genetics that I acquired, but, but, uh, but anyways, it's, uh, fortunately not a neurological one, which is again, for everyone listening, they know it's, you know, about 8% of cases. So it's, you know, chances are, you're not gonna have to worry about this, but, uh, yeah. the good thing is there's treatment and, uh, there's a possible future. Yeah. So, I mean, just look how far you've come from something so intractable. So non-treatable 
in the past. I mean, you know. yeah, it's kind of uh, it's very extreme, but yeah. but it 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 does just just yeah. I mean, hey, if I can do it, all y'all can do it. Right. All y'all, I think <laughs> for it, you know. Uh, Lori, I have a question for you. Um, sure. Uh, in the past, uh, when did you start thinking that Doug could potentially have a mental illness, or did you never really think that? Oh gosh, um, uh, I really pretty much knew from the time he was a little kid that there was something, mm-hmm. uh, something off, right? So yeah. to speak, something so you know, he he wasn't like us. Yeah, and. Um, but even at that time, you know, I was too young to really put my finger on it or to be able to say, hey, somebody pay attention, you know, although, you know, probably when I was a teenager, um, I probably said that. And, you know, my parents, you know, parents back then did not know what we know today. Right. And, you know, so I, I I can't say that really anyone can fault them because they just didn't know. Yeah. And there were extenuating circumstances, you know, are moving and they're sort of being wrapped up in their own lives. And so we were kind of left to fend for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But you could tell that Doug was always on the outside and, you know, trying to find a way to fit in but never really did mm. from the time he was really young and then um you know when he was working with jamie back at petland you know i knew there were issues you know drugs and whatever it might be ways in which he was trying to cope i mean yeah. i you know i have my master's in social work i did my best yeah. to try to help him i took him into my home you know and of course you know there were several times when he was living on his own in Fort Lauderdale that I went to the apartment thinking that I was going to find him um, dead. And I did that at least twice that I know of, once with my dad and once by myself, which I don't know what I was thinking because I don't know what I would have done if I really found him. But so the fact that you had that instinct, though, was very telling because um you know, we didn't know the science then, you know, it could have just been a standard depression and I wasn't getting treated properly. It wasn't the mm-hmm. case, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, I just knew there was a culmination of different things. I didn't know to the extent of, you know, what you were doing in terms of self-medicating and things like that. But, you know, it, it was very scary and uh, very sad. And, you know, oftentimes I just felt helpless. And mm, yeah. You know, probably, you know, at times behaved in the right way and at other times, you know, maybe didn't handle the situation. Pulling back, let's say, you know, my pulling back just to survive myself, you know, not knowing what to do, feeling like I was helpless um, in the situation. Yeah, and I feel bad about that. And that's that's standard, you know, people just, and you know, it's such a insidious disease that it makes you recoil and put on this mask so nobody because of the stigma part mm-hmm. and you think oh i'm just a useless turd i'm a mental case and whatever and i just wore such a good mask um because i was too afraid of somebody not liking me well you you fooled me up. i mean you fooled me because i you know i i i could sense that you weren't necessarily a happy person in general 
but I, even during that time when you were, you and Jamie were working at Petland, um, I, I was there and I was hanging out with you and stuff like that. And I knew that you had, um, you know, bouts of sadness or whatever, but it never crossed my mind that it was a, a serious mental issue back then. But again, I didn't know either. I had, I was just as ignorant. I had, I didn't know anything about the science of it or anything about uh, mental illness at the time. So to well, me, you become an expert at, at, at hiding. It's just like, if you know, if you have one foot short than the other, you kind of, you know, yeah. will develop a coping strategy to walk and, you know, it's the same, right. Same thing. And it just, the, the, but these coping strategies are, are just completely 180 backwards, you know, and not, um, beneficial in the long yeah they're way. not helping for sure yeah so yeah so that's a it's a great thing that um you know that we know what it is now and you know there's no blame on either sides i mean right. it's it's a terrible thing for both sides yeah and, exactly uh, the fact that we're able to recover this is uh you know just for everybody to to know that that's it's just a typical thing it happens all the time always yeah the only and, thing at fault here is the disease itself so yeah yeah the only thing i see that that you know my parents you know as a learning experience for people out there is that uh i saw my first as i said before my first psychologist when i was nine years old mm -hmm. back in 1979 i think um and so they obviously knew something was wrong but you know, it was kind of like, uh, no better way to say it, but like, you know, all right, we'll just send him to this guy. He's highly recommended. It's like kind of going to get an oil change, you know, right. They'll take care of whatever's alien, give them drugs, whatever. And yeah. it never was followed up because at least with me, they weren't hands-on mm -hmm. parents, you know, and I was the fourth child. And I think I was handed off to you as a young child too, right, Laurie? I mean, you kind of took care of me a lot yeah yeah i mean i, <laughs> I hate to say that because you could blame me for being so screwed up but no i'm just kidding <laughs> but yeah i mean i you know i we moved here and i had to babysit for you and jamie and robbie had a life and our parents had a life and and i you know i mean i was young i i was not equipped to be a mom you know i mean did I, you did you feel like more like a mother or, than a sister back then? Yes, for sure. Mm. For was sure. And age... luckily, I do have strong maternal instincts. Yeah. So I was able to care for them, you know, as best I could. But, you know, I had a lot of resentment um, because I was 15 when we moved to the States. And I basically didn't have a life, you know, I... I had, I remember thinking about this as a 30 something year old woman, you know, sort of forgiving my parents for, you know, leaving us to raise ourselves once we moved here, because I was like, oh, you know what, they were this age, I could see how they would want to also make friends and have a social life. But at the same time, I talked myself right out of that, because I said, well, no, because your obligation is to your family, right? So, well, I think, you know, people really need to, you know, weigh out how many children they should have because it's, you know, it's not just buying a box of chocolates. I mean, each one is, you know, your formative years, it's just very important, your environmental factors. And that's why I give you so much credit for having three boys 
you know, cause I'm, I think we should go back to the Chinese, you know, 2.2 kids, <laughs> you know, um, because it's just, it's too much in today's world to be, I mean, I'm thinking about Ed and his schedule, add in two kids and I can't imagine how busy your life would be. So, oh. you know, it was too much for my parents and um, I'm sure they would agree in retrospect, but you know, Lori did with three, just unbelievable. Yeah. I can't even uh, imagine having kids right now, to be honest with you, <laughs> mm-hmm. it would just, it, it wouldn't basically take over my life. And that's, that's the way it should be anyway. When you have kids, yeah. that's what your life becomes. It's all about the kids. Um, but I'm, I'm, I guess I'm saying I'm, I'm kind of glad I don't have kids. <laughs> it would be a lot yeah. to take a lot to handle. Yeah, it, it's a lot, but you know what? It, um, you know, I was lucky. I got to be a stay-at-home mom, and my ex-husband, you know, that was the deal. I was going to stay home, and he was going to go out and earn a living. But he was married to his job, basically, and yeah. so I pretty much raised those kids on my own mm. for the most and part. And spenders. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but you know, back then. Uh, you know, like our mother, she was 19 when she had her first kid. She was 27 right. when she had four kids. Like wow. that's crazy. Right. Um, but that's what that's what they knew. You know, that was the woman's job back then was right. to be a housewife and a mother. So they didn't know that they should stop. You know. Yeah, your kids are like trophies almost. You know, it's we used to call everyone auntie. You know, they weren't our aunties, <laughs> but it was just you know like little walking trophies. <laughs> so it's you know but we know so much more now and how things affect you know yeah children how powerful words are and all that stuff so oh yeah you know so do you look back at the past Lori, and and start noticing things now that you you didn't notice back then uh about you know doug's personality or or anything like that um, nothing necessarily different, really. I just want to say that time that I had that remission in 2013, the original one, and came to Florida, and you saw this diff- different human, That you had to have conflicting emotions there. But now, of course, you know what it, that it was so incredibly real. You're talking about when you came for... Uh her mom's wedding and you were in a really bad place no 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 this is when i had a great permission and i stayed with you and we had that great time Mm and um no but i i had seen that side of you i mean you know because we always had good times when we were together but I, i think ed's asking me more in terms of you know the the depression and no, definitely. I just wanted to put that in there just because you were, you were not like Jamie was kind of like, didn't know what to make of it. And our brother Rob was sort of just kind of detached still. And, but you were just, you just were more organic, more natural with it. And it was, that's why we, we bonded so well. That's why I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I always, I know that there's this, you know, very funny, uh, warm, loving side to you. So that, that, that just to me felt natural. That was like a relief. Like, wow, we get to have these great times. Like, you know, we talk about sitting in the car, listening to Gary Goldman or, you know, sitting on the porch and just talking. And so, um, as far as your question, Ed, 
you know, I, I mean, I, I always saw it. I always saw it. I felt it. I knew there was stuff going on. You know, I saw the high, the Doug always had very highs and, you know, very low lows and high highs. And there really wasn't that much in between. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I like the idea now where he is today in this place where he's more even yeah. because the high highs and the low lows, neither one of those are very good situations yes. because, you know, they're, they're not long lasting. They're not forever. But if he can keep this even, yeah, you know, keep in this even place. And, you know, keep taking steps forward, baby steps forward. I think that's going to be the key to his, you know, sustaining where he is. Yeah, it's it's very difficult, you know, now that, you know, the consequences are different. Just like Nareet was saying, and consequences are different as a child is getting older. Yeah. Uh, but now, you know, it's basically I was robbed of almost 50 years of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just, you know. I was bullied since I was a child and beat the shit till I was 18. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's, it's terrible, but hopefully we're going to help other people not go through that. But it's, uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of anger and resentment to work through and you have to work through it alone. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, it's definitely tough to do it, but yeah, yeah I want, uh, you know, there's only one way or the other, this is going to go. So, you know, um, you mentioned the bullying uh, when you were a kid, Lori. Do you do you did you notice the bullying back then? Um, not so much. I would say, uh, you know, when we went to sleepaway camp, again for me, I think as also being a kid, I knew that he wasn't fitting in anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I, he never really talked openly about being bullied. Yeah. So to me, he was just you know. A loner child with maybe only one friend at a time or two friends max yeah. so I always knew that he wasn't fitting in anywhere but was not aware of the bullying yeah it was uh, it just it was just inevitable that I was going to be I was just you know sheep amidst the wolves basically you know yeah. and uh, I actually remember one year and I think it was your friend one year, I don't know why or how I remember it, but I ended up doing horseback riding in camp, which nobody did. It was me and like a few girls, yeah, you know, and we came back smelling like horse turds and <laughs> barn, you know, and so I got to shit be that for that too. But there was a, a girl there who was one of the counselors, and I think it was your friend. Do you remember that? Mm, I don't know. Is the story going anywhere else? Maybe <laughs> well, no, now, just because but, no, but. I, I would, they would take us into a van. You know, we had to drive for a little while to the stables. And uh, and she said, oh, you're Dougie Rickle, you know, <laughs> uh, Lori's brother. And so, like, I had, like, a an ally, you know, like, so I, protection, you know. Nice. And uh, so you were just linked there. Uh, I don't remember the name, but I think it was your friend. Anyways, that's uh, and Jamie was there for a couple of years, as I mentioned him on the show that he would be able to protect me if I needed it. Right. Yeah, I so. think the one thing about summer camp was, you know, regardless of what went on, sibling wise during the year, you know, 
I mean, I, I'm the only girl with three boys, so I never really kind of fit in, you know, was close with any one, let's say in particular, but I always knew that in summer camp, you know, we don't, we're not living at home or living outside that I could count on my brothers. And I do remember, you know, looking out for Doug and he had this friend Warren and, you know, would spend time with them. But unfortunately I didn't know about the bullying um, because he never said. Yeah. Uh, yeah, both of us so. really got this shit kicked out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both yeah. Who, you and Warren? Him and Warren. Yeah. Well, they were both, you know, odd men out, so to speak. This is uh this is Warren, the guy I met in Montreal. Yeah, he was yeah. A, a product of a, a diabetic pregnancy and his brother had cerebral palsy and, and he had a sort of a dwarfism um, yeah. and a little bit sort of a slow mental state and um so yeah, I remember one night where, where I was getting punched and then he would actually, they would put stuff in a pillow and be beating him with a, that stuff oh in the God. pillow. And yeah, it was. It uh, was the cutest was, thing. He was just so sweet and quiet and cute and just, you know. Yeah, I kids actually. Are, kids are cruel, you know, kids are cruel. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, if you put 10 lions and, you know, the small one's going to get you know, yeah. picked on. It's just the way the pecking order works. Yeah. And of course, not to mention that I wet my bed till I was 13, 14. So I had rubber sheets and that didn't help my, uh, my, uh, confidence level or my credibility. Right. Yeah. Especially at camp. That's where they're going to. Yeah. I smell really... like horse shit and I was peeing in my bed and, <laughs> uh, and no confidence. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you, Doug, when I went when I went to college at eighteen? You're six years younger than me, so you were still a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, you were yeah. t- twelve, thirteen when I left for college. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of where our brother sister thing. You know, I would come home and visit, but I was away at college. Well, I give you guys credit too for adjusting because we went from a very sheltered parochial environment of Montreal and then into this United States. We went to middle school at uh, J.A. Eli Street. Um, we were the only white kids, in, you know, and I remember one of my first experiences was getting pushed off the bleachers of the top of the bleachers and breaking my wrist. It was one bullying incident. And that was like my first exposure, like it, nine ten years old here you go so that was mm-hmm. definitely you know lamb for the slaughter there so it's tough adjustment for i'm sure you guys too uh but you know oh. again <laughs> yeah, we'll do. it's pretty horrible well were were you guys ever bullied um well i was 15 i was went into 10th grade when we moved and um I had a really difficult time. I, so I, you know, like Doug said, we came from a very sheltered um, area and then came to this big, huge, you know, Hollywood Hills High School with thousands of kids. And um, I had self-confidence issues my whole life and um, it was very difficult. And I, you know, had some pretty negative experiences and that's why I wanted to go away to college. I just needed to get out of there as quickly as possible. And luckily 
I was able to get a handle on it, but um, it was very difficult. I would never move my kids yeah. when they are that age ever because you it's know, tough. Unless- yeah, I moved. I, I moved around a lot as well when I was a kid, and it was hard. It was hard when you have a set of friends that you're very comfortable with in one place, and then suddenly you're moving to a completely different school where you know nobody. Um, but you had a healthy brain to be able to cope with whatever you needed to cope with. And you had a very, very healthy supportive family structure. Yeah, I was lucky. I, I, I will admit that I was definitely lucky. I, I didn't get necessarily bullied or anything like that. Um, I was definitely on the fringe though, because I, I wasn't one of the popular kids. I wasn't the, you know, the jock or, or anything like that. I was more of the, the nerdy computer kid. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was bullied. I forgot, kind of forgot about this until you asked me that question. But there was this really white, trashy, big girl, and she would taunt me after school every day, like kind of act like she was following me home every day, and I was petrified. Oh. And finally I couldn't take it anymore, and I just turned around and I said, what is your problem? What? She's like, well, you're such a snub. I'm like, I'm not a snob. I don't know anybody. I don't talk to anybody because I don't know anybody. I just moved here. So you want to beat my ass? Go ahead. Because I, I, you know, I've had it. I'm tired of being scared of you. And um, (laughs) unfortunately, she then became what she wanted to be my best friend (laughs) and followed me after school every day for a different reason. But, (laughs) but, um, you know, so, and I wasn't even really all that different. It was just new. So, you know, yeah. so add, you know, Doug's being, you know, having his mental illness and his being different on top of that, you know, of, of course kids are going to bully him because he's an easy target. And you weren't that different, but they definitely, it's enough that they can sense it. They don't need much. But yeah. the fact that you turned around and said that, like, I could never even think of that. I would just shit my yeah. pants before I said that, you know, and run. And yeah, exactly. So, the fact that you stood up to her and kind of, you know, quelched the situation is something that I don't think Doug would ever have had the guts to do back then. Yeah, no. I mean, she was that yeah, definitely there was something different there. It was a different culture where we came from. And she's also a very pretty person. So, and always was. So that was that other person's jealousy yeah. and, yeah. And uh, oh, displaced thanks. anger. That took care of my list of questions. Um, I guess the, the only other thing would be um, now that there's an open line of communications, um, you know, obviously that's a great thing. And, and where does it go from here? Like um, it's, uh, it's setting certain, you know, just like self-care, setting certain goals mm-hmm. and following through on them and just taking it slowly and, but very, genuinely you know it's not you know um nobody has to rearrange their lives yeah um it's you know just sort of take it and appreciate it every day and um you know uh just you know let it happen and while protecting the disease and at the same time yeah. um being as genuine open and honest and an open book as we've been throughout all these shows yeah with no no anger no blame anywhere the only blame no. is the disease. Um, so yeah. yeah, just the, just having an open line of communication changes everything. 
That's yeah. right. Oh, for sure. I mean, for me, you know, I have the, I mean, what Doug was just talking about, those are, you know, short term, you know, day to day kinds of things, which I'm, I mean, I, I don't see why we're not going to be able to accomplish that with great ease. Yeah. For me, the big goal would be, I mean, I would love nothing more than to see Doug again, you know, whether it's flying him here or going there or whatever. I, you know, Daniel just got married in September and I really so many times thought of a way that, you know, how can I bring Doug there? And now, you know, Mitchell and Bruna are going to get married in the next year or so. And I mean, nothing would make me happier than being able to have Doug there with us. So that would be be a long-term goal for me. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's unfortunate yet fortunate that Doug is in Canada because, uh, you know, Doug, you have to stay near your doctors. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, but the other hand, it's too like I want to be able to 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 be able to fly myself there, and you know, and all those things. I mean, of course, we have to be real and in, in the situation. You know, yeah. I can't fly across the street, so let alone mm-hmm. to you know, another country. So, or another state, but, um, hopefully, you know, it's with baby steps, things will will begin to happen, whether I have to walk to Colorado or not, eventually. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I haven't seen, I don't know if you know that Lori, but like in in person, I don't think I've seen it in, but it's about 18 years. I think it's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Ed and I were talking about that while you were, um, not there for a few minutes before the show. And, uh, I mean, that would be amazing. Like, even if we could all just meet in Colorado, you know, because then, you know, know, coming here involves having to deal with the rest of the family, which you might not be ready for for a a while. You know what I mean? But um, can't be all at once. But yeah, baby steps. And that's what what the next steps are, is just to taking it, you know, one piece at a time and uh, just making sure that nobody gets hurt anymore. It's, It's right. You know. And that's that that's your question, Ed, you know, how to do that. And, you know, it's just you gotta have open, honest communication, yep. you know, and and uh, you know, work together, set realistic expectations and you know, plan the steps for meeting them and and you know, uh you know, being praised and recognized for your strengths and and yeah, uh, you know, because Reacher shows that that compared to offering positive support. You know, if you're repeatedly prompting or nagging or, you know, with people with serious mental illness um, to make behavior changes, that usually ends up in a worse outcome. Right. So, you know, it's, we, we experience a lot of stigma and misconceptions and, and a totally difficult reality. So, yeah. you know, now that the fact that people diagnosed today can, can expect better outcomes than ever before. Right. Uh, you know, with medication and now even to this extent of what I had, uh, that there is help out there and there is, you know, hope for a future. So and, uh, you know, I, I need that support, just that that family issue and that disconnect creates an unreal amount of stress and stress yeah. is what causes anxiety and depression and inflammation and all well, that and that's- stuff. That's what I was, uh, what we've always discussed in the past, maybe not on the show directly, but uh, you've always had this whole family issue over your head. And there were points in time when you were like, uh, where you said, 
I just don't have a family. Just pretend I don't have a family. Like you, you, but I could tell that that was a major pain point for you. Cause yeah. you know, you, you can it's say to yourself, news. Oh, well, you know, if my family doesn't understand, then I don't need them. But you know what you do. And, and yeah. I think you've come to realize that, that things are much better when your family is, is there for you and on your side. Yeah. We didn't have the tools and they didn't have the tools, but now we can help and, and tell people that, you know, always give people the benefit of the doubt. You can, you yeah. know, nobody would purposely do this to themselves and, you know, be open and, and, and you know, uh, engage with them and encourage them to get treatment and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You're not being a drama queen. There's really something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, now the, and, and I appreciate the little things. And so I appreciate my sister. I mean, more than anyone could ever imagine, you know, so, and my brother, you know, and hopefully more in the future. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, yeah, it's an unbelievable feeling. And I tell the story every day really. And it helps me and my peer support, you know, and talking to them, yeah. hey, if I can do this while, you know, suffering all these major ups and downs, well, you have no excuse, you know? Well, and I so, have to give you major props, Doug, for um, getting to the point where you can actually speak about what you're feeling. Uh, like I said before, I always got nervous when you would shut down and not communicate. But when lately I've noticed that if you are in a down mood and you don't feel like talking, you will send me a quick text or, or something saying, you know, I, I can't right now. We'll talk later or something like that. I'm giving you space. And, you know, I'm trying to make those, those changes necessary because I have no social contact. So if it all goes to you, that's just way unfair. And I'm just going to be, Oh, there's the mental case, you know? And then the, then your hangouts tone will be a trigger. <laughs> right. So we don't want that. No, no. Uh, but no, so, when you would withdraw uh, in the past, it was literally like you fell off the face of the earth and you know some people might take that negatively and think oh he's just dissing me or you know he doesn't want to talk to me or whatever um but no it's it's the illness that's making you almost physically unable to talk to people and, you no know, it is that way it physically yeah. it manifests physically and and it's you know, again, when your amygdala and all that stuff is completely unbalanced, your cognitive function, your executive functioning gets shut off Yeah. with this neurological depression. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you saying that, but it's really not, I guess it's credit, but it's, it's, it's only one way or the other, either it's all, it's all or none situation. There's no in between. Yeah. So it's either. I'm gonna yeah. But I think what I Ed is saying is for us, for the people in your life, right? Uh, it's so helpful, the fact that you are able now to say, you know, can't talk today, let's talk tomorrow. Exactly. And then you actually then initiate and send an email or a text saying, hey, what can we talk today? Or, you know, because it's really hard to always be on the other end of not knowing or, exactly, you know, making yeah. the effort and whatever. So just, just a simple you know, not today, let's try for tomorrow. And even if tomorrow doesn't work, no big deal. Let's try for the next day. But the, the communication that you're able to do, at least for right now, you know, and with practice, you'll be able to do it more is so helpful for us yes. on the other side. Absolutely. 
That's exactly yeah, it's a lot of work to, to, you know, get all this distortion and, and reverse it, you know, but it's, I mean, it's obviously incredibly important to me. I don't want to ever have any kind of disconnect. I want the complete opposite, but it is, it's a lot of hard work, but it, it, I learned it really with self-care and what they yeah. call self-care now. And it's, you know, I literally have worksheets that I fill out what my goal is and, you know, today until tonight and you know and um it's a lot of work but it's 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 you it has to be done and yeah it's the only way to keep your uh your friends and family uh on the same page as you and yeah it's it's so it's great for for the outsiders it helps tremendously Um, yeah i mean the you know the the desire and the love is just it's ridiculous amount of of, uh, that's fueling that the other side of it is you know, is this being deadly, deathly afraid of relapsing? Uh, yeah. Pardon that pun there. Uh, but the last relapse, I ended up in the bathtub. So there's, you can't go any further than that. And so, unfortunately, that that's a good fuel from a real negative situation. Yeah. But whatever it is, it is. It's uh, it's fuel nonetheless, because um, otherwise everything just gets shut off and it's done. And, well, let's just know. hope with uh, with all these new open lines of communication and contact with family uh, and friends uh, just keeps that from ever happening again. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Lori, so much for coming on. Um, you know, I, I love you so much, and I'm so glad that, that we have reconnected and have this very cool, you know, organic connected relationship so um i mean it means the world i agree and thank you guys for having me and i love you doug very much and ed just like i said to you before the show thank you so much for just always being there for him and you guys are doing a great thing here with unhinged podcast and um keep it going and i'll come back whenever you want me Thank you so much, Lori. I think it's getting a little teary. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. All right. Take care, guys. Take care. Thanks Bye-bye. so much. See you soon. All right. All right. Bye. That's our show for today. We want to thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter at UnhingedPC and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash unhingedpodcast. Also be sure to check out our website if you haven't done so already. It's at unhingedpodcast.com. We'll see you all next week.